0: Would you thank our worship team for leading us tonight? It is uh, indeed a privilege and a pleasure to be back with you this evening. Uh, Oh, you're kind. I understand your pastor has become a grandpa in the last couple of weeks. Well, I just want you to know that we became Grandma and Grandpa again for the third time two weeks ago. So, we are celebrating that in our home. And uh, it, I don't think there's anything better than being a grandpa or a grandma. Let me tell you, it's the best gig in the world. Because you get to just enjoy them. And you do get to send them home, which is really, really kind of nice. I thought about, um, you know... Uh, Chuck mentioned the uh, piece of work uh, statement. I'm not going to call you a piece of work because you know who you are. Uh, (laughs) But I did think, you know, I I thought about, gosh, we ought to print up some T-shirts. Because we could have probably paid all the expenses of our ministry for the next year if I just sold T-shirts here tonight that said, I'm a piece of work. And then on the back, Ephesians 3.10, that remind us that we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, but I am really, really proud of you. I hear really good things that you're supporting and encouraging and loving and following your new pastor. That you're delighted with his teaching. Those are all good things. Well done, well done, well done. And I want to say uh, congratulations on that. Uh, tonight, though, I want to talk to you about uh, what God has to say to us. We've learned. We've focused our attention. On Him in our worship, and now uh, we're going to turn to His Word. So I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we begin. Okay, our Father, we thank you for Your goodness and Your grace. We thank you that uh, that You love us, oftentimes in spite of ourselves, and that You sent Your Son to pay the penalty to enable us to experience a relationship with You that we couldn't have otherwise. And Lord, each and every day in some big or small way, we are reminded of that, that we are spared and restored by your grace and that we've been spared and restored and saved for a purpose, and that's to bring you glory and to extend the word of God in ways and through means in which uh, change the lives of others around us. And so, Lord, meet us here tonight. And uh, open our hearts before you as we open your word. And uh, we'll give you thanks and praise for that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight I'm going to not talk to you about Jesus. I want to talk to you and share with you about the kinds of people who knew Jesus. And about the, the ways in which they walked with him. And the distinguishing marks that characterized them. And get this. And still do. And still do. Now I understand you have a new little tradition that you stand when we read the Word of God. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles and stand with me. And let's read together. You silently and me loudly. Acts chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. It says that one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them in return. And then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Let me give you a little background on this particular passage. The background of this passage is that the church has been born in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And on that day when the Holy Spirit came upon those hundred disciples in that room, Peter, who for the most part of Jesus' ministry had gone around with his foot in his mouth, actually delivers this sermon, his first sermon. And on that particular day, Three thousand people responded to the gospel. Well, can you imagine I mean it was like the first Billy Graham Crusade. It was a remarkable experience i 'm sure, and it says that the church began the, the, the community of God, the new community of god 's people and If you read the last part of the, of the gospel or the, the second chapter of Acts, it tells you this new community of uh, was built upon the teaching of the apostles. And they devoted themselves to prayer, to fellowship, and to breaking bread together. And God was in their midst, and He gave confirmations of doing so. And it says that they continued to meet in these, in these different ways, and that they gained favor with both God and men, and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the background on this particular on this particular uh, occasion and then on this day it says Peter and John sometime after that were walking to the temple and in the passage here I believe what there, what we're gonna see is five distinguishing marks that characterize these guys who had been with Jesus who are recognized have been with Jesus and what it is that characterize them and that's what I want to share with you there are five distinguishing marks that characterize them and that Catch us in this particular passage. And here's the first one. I would suggest to you that on that day, that one day on which they saw this man at the temple as they were walking into the temple. And they had this conversation with him. And this amazing miracle took place. That there are five distinguishing marks that characterize these guys who followed after Jesus. And were recognized to have been with Jesus. The first one is that they had eyes to see. They had eyes to see. Remember in the, in, the, in the Gospels that Jesus often said to the Pharisees and to his congregation or to his audience, if you have eyes to see, see. If you have ears to hear, hear. In this particular instance, we see that Peter and John had eyes to see. And what I would suggest to you is that these were redeemed eyes. A set of new eyes or a set of new lenses through which to see people and situations. And opportunities that called for the love and the grace and the power of God. People and situations and opportunities that they may have seldom, if ever seen before or recognized before. In this passage, it's really interesting because it tells us that there was this man who was there at the temple courts and who was there every day. In fact, it says he was put there every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. That means that this guy had been there for probably years. Now, I would suggest to you that this was not the first time that Peter and John went to temple. And I venture to say it was not the first time that they walked into the temple through that particular gate. More than likely, they had passed by Him hundreds of times before. But today they saw Him. Isn't that interesting? That Luke would note that they saw Him. That this man was brought here every day. That they may have passed by Him every day. But today they saw Him in a different light. And they stopped. And it begs the question, doesn't it? Why do you think they stopped? Why today? Well, I would suggest to you it's because on this day, and maybe for the first time in their lives, they were consciously aware that the Spirit of the risen Christ was alive in them and through them. They were consciously aware That the Spirit of the living Christ, the risen Christ, was alive in them. And so, it causes me to ask myself as I ask you tonight this question, because the follow-up question is begging to be asked. When was the last time you were consciously aware that the Spirit of the risen Christ Was alive in you and through you. Because in fact, He is. Some time ago, a few years back, Lisa and I had the privilege of going to Winnipeg, Canada in February. It was not a vacation. In fact, let me just say to you never ever go to Winnipeg, Canada in February. It's really cold. And um, and there's nothing to do there because everybody's huddled up inside. But we were there as a guest of um, a Salvation Army church that had just done a kingdom assignment and they were giving their reports. And I'll never forget this report that this one gal gave. She just... Had a baby. In fact, she was pregnant when she received her her uh, initial her initial uh, uh, investment money, and she kind of stuffed it away because she had that baby. And then it started to burn a hole in her hands, like some of you have. What am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? And she was asking the Lord, "What should I do with this?" And it was coming to the time when she was supposed to be accountable to bring a report, and she still didn't know what she was to do with it. And then all of a sudden, she went back to work. She was walking the same walk that she had walked every day for eight years. Down the same street, by the same corner, past the same guy that she saw every day. And God touched her heart. There was a guy that was a homeless man begging and had been there every day for eight years. And she said, every time I saw him, I judged him. I despised him. She said, I couldn't, I never made eye contact. In eight years, I refused to make eye contact with this man because I was so disgusted by him, his behavior, his appearance, everything about him. And on this particular day, God said, That's the person that I want you to show my love and grace to. And she had her wrestling with the Lord, as I'm sure most of you have had at one time or another. When you get that nudge and you think it's just a bad hamburger, you know, and <laughs> reality, our nudges and our kind of, oftentimes, our Holy Spirit kind of driven moments. And she went to a bookstore and she bought a Bible. And she stuck $50 in that Bible and she went. Next day, she went downtown like she had always gone before. And she walked down the same street that she'd always gone before. She came up to this guy that she had always judged before. And this time, she stopped. And she looked him straight in the eye. And she asked him if he would sit on the corner in January in Winnipeg. (laughs) during rush hour. And there on the corner of that street, across the street from where she worked, she pulled out a Bible and she said to him, I want to ask for your forgiveness. He was taken back. And she told him the story. For the last eight years, I've walked by and judged you and I realized that I've been an affront to you and to my God. And I want to share something with you. I've been challenged. And I want to give you this Bible. And she, be, and she read to him, opened up and read to him, John three sixteen, And she said, I'm going to be praying for you and I really hope that you will you'll come to a saving knowledge of Christ and that you'll forgive me. But I want you to know something. Um, I don't know if this will change you, but it changed me. They had their moment. They hugged. She left and went on to work. The next day, he was gone. the day after that, he was gone. And the day after that, he was gone. She said, I have never seen him again since that day. And again, I don't know if that changed him or if it changed the rest of his life, but I do know that it changed me. In Mark chapter 8, there's a story about some people bringing a man to Jesus. And uh, it says that uh, in coming to Jesus, let me find it here because I didn't mark it in my Bible. It says they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and they led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus says, do you see anything? Isn't that a great question? He says, no, I don't see anything because I've got spit all over my eyes. It doesn't say that, but you want it to say that. And it says that he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Wet trees. And it says that once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened. And his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. I love how the Living Bible portrays this. It says, and when Jesus touched him a second time, he saw men as Jesus saw them. Isn't that great? One of the distinguishing marks... Of those who were known to follow Jesus as they had eyes to see, they began to see people as Jesus saw them. They saw situations as Jesus saw them. they saw opportunities as Jesus saw them. they had eyes to see, and we could add ears to hear because there was that uh, that little uh, that probably said don't just go your normal way stop stop a friend of mine was in Sumba Indonesia on a surfing trip <laughs> he was in a midlife kind of time where he uh, was just burned out and his wife's his parents were missionaries in Indonesia and he said why don't you go and visit my parents, and go surfing when they because I know you just love to surf, and just, it's kind of like the Billy Crystal thing, go and find your smile. And so he went to Indonesia, and he surfed in the day, in the afternoons when the waves weren't any good, he would go out into the villages, and he found people living like they lived 2,000 years ago in these villages. No running water, no electricity, no clinics, medical Opportunities for hundreds of miles away, if anywhere, on this island. Indonesia is a country that's made up of 18,000 islands. And this island, and 99 point something percent of them are Muslim in their orientation. This one is animist. It's like going back in time. People didn't wear shoes. They carried swords with them. They sacrificed animals to make deals. In fact, what was fascinating when I was there is that they would... Whenever they finished uh, a a transaction, they would slaughter an animal, a pig. And it was the blood that closed the deal. Isn't that interesting? The blood, the spilling of blood closed the deal. And uh, as he was walking and seeing these people and seeing the need that they had, he said something inside. he, He said, I said to a friend of mine one day, somebody needs to help these people. And then I got one of those, (laughs) a new Christian, and a little voice inside of him said, why don't you help him? He said, what can I possibly do? And he couldn't get rid of that experience, and he came home, and he told his wife what he'd experienced in that particular situation. And they said, well, why don't we see if we can write to a... Uh, an organization that might give us some medical supplies, we know doctors and dentists that maybe would go back with us, and they wrote a, a letter to a to a, a, a an organization down in Santa Barbara and they gave him one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of medical supplies and He went back and they opened a little clinic of doctors and dentists who would surf in the morning and in the afternoons they would pull teeth and Do this, that, the other. And in four years, this has become now a foundation. In fact, he quit working in the software industry for two years to just launch this as a volunteer. They've reduced malaria on the island by over 80% in those three years. Hundreds of people are living and seeing their kids live past the age of 12. They've dug wells in the villages and they've cleaned up the schools and they put bathrooms in some of those places and electricity so that mothers didn't have to walk two miles to get dirty, filthy water out of a little stream and bring it back to cook in their homes. They built a little church and people started coming to the church. All because they had eyes to see and ears to hear. You know, Jesus said in John chapter ten, "I am the good shepherd, and my sh- and I know my sheep by name, and my sheep know me, and they recognize my voice, and they follow my lead." One of the distinguishing marks of the early disciples is that eyes to see and ears to hear, and I would suggest to you that it, it still is a distinguishing mark. Here's the second one. They were ambassadors of hope. Ambassadors of hope. Notice that Peter says in this passage, silver and gold, have I none, or I don't have, but what I have I give to you. For the last seven years, it has become increasingly Um, increasingly, I become increasingly conscious that in our culture, people are growing tired of merely hearing from Christians. Tired of hearing from the church. In fact, more and more, you're hearing people saying, you know, it isn't Jesus I have a problem with, it's His wife I can't get along with. And what I hear is that people don't want to just hear from the church anymore. They want to see it. They want to experience it. And they need to see it. You know one of the great gifts that we have to give is the gift of hope. Hope that displays itself in what we do to earn the right to be heard by those who don't know him yet or experience that hope. You say, Well, where did you get that? That hope would be such an important thing. Well, you know what? I get that from Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is beginning his ministry. And as he begins his ministry, he goes into a synagogue. On a particular day, on a Sabbath day, as was his custom, it tells us in Luke chapter 4. And as he stood there, he stood to read, they handed him the scroll and he unrolled it and found this place in Isaiah. And this is what he read. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind." And to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant. and said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. And he began his ministry. And it was a ministry of speaking, but of doing that confirmed what he had to say. And authenticated what he had to say. These words, recovery and freedom, and release are words of hope. Hope. Hope for today. Hope for tomorrow. Hope for eternity. On our way here this afternoon, we stopped in Hollywood, and we went to a church called Hope International Bible Church. Bible Fellowship. Hope International Bible Fellowship. And we interviewed this pastor who's been there for 14. He went there for three months to kind of consult. He's ended up staying for 14 years. (laughs) He said, we don't have any cars at our church. We have more, you know, uh, shopping carts in front of our church than we do cars. But he says, our ministry is all about being the incarnational hands and feet of Jesus. And we find ourselves baptizing people all the time. All the time. And he says, you know, just our presence here means something. Some of you know what it's like to uh, be ambassadors of hope because last year you invested yourself down in New Orleans. And this church rallied around a church in need and people in need And people who were brothers and sisters and who never ever expected you to be the ones to come and be ambassadors of hope for them. Hope for today. Hope for tomorrow. Hope for eternity. Years ago we did a third kingdom assignment at our church in Orange County and it was investing time I'll never forget this story. is one of my very favorite stories about a mother and daughter who were who went to Trader Joe's to in, invest 90 minutes of concentrated time in people who they perceived to be the least of these, and the least of these in their mind were senior adults who couldn't get their who couldn't lift their uh, their their uh, groceries from the you know the store out to their car. They said, "We're going to be." Their hands and their feet. Because if you've ever been to Trader Joe's, you know that Trader Joe's is like the the place where uh, shopping carts go to die. It's like old buses that, you know, when the buses, when the school district has been done with them for 15 years, churches used to buy buses. You know, that's when we would use them and they'd go to churches to die. Well, old shopping carts that don't work anywhere suddenly end up in places like Trader Joe's and they would go like this. And at least in our area and the people, older people couldn't get out to their car and said, we're going to go and help those people. And for an hour and a half, they stood at the front gate and asked people who were having difficulty if they could help them with their groceries. And the child was getting really anxious. She she wanted to go home. She was was done after about 20 minutes. And they were coming down to their last 5 or 10 minutes when a woman walked out and looked completely bewildered. And they asked, can we help you? And she said, my bus is gone. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And she started to cry and to tremble. And they said, can we help you? She said, I don't have any way of getting home. And they said, well, we'd be glad to take you home. She said, you would do that for me? She said, of course. That's why we're here. We're on assignment. And uh, you obviously are the person that God wants us to help. And so they walked her out to the car and they put her groceries in the back and she sat in the back in the back seat and she told them where she lived. And they began to drive and... She said, you know, when I woke up this morning, I was afraid to go outside. You see, my husband died four weeks ago. And this is the first time that I dared to go out of the house alone. He used to take care of me, do everything for me. He was my rock. And when I lost him, I thought I lost everything. Everything. And the last thing that I'm most fearful of is that I would get out of the house with no way to get back and I'd miss my bus and I wouldn't even know where I was. And then I was praying this morning before I left the house and I heard this little voice say, it's going to be okay. And so I came. And then you know how frightened I was when I said, but I realized something even as we're driving back. He said, you're the answer to my prayer. And you want to know something, folks? Each and every one of us, at one time or another, and probably more times than we dare to understand or admit, are likely to be the answer to someone's prayer. You see, we have not only been called but given the privilege of being ambassadors of hope. Hope for today, hope for tomorrow, hope for eternity. Here's the third one. They were faithful stewards. We've talked a little bit about stewardship tonight. But I used to think that stewardship was just about giving money to the church. And then I began to realize that, you know what, biblically, stewardship isn't simply about giving money to the church. Although giving money to the church is one of the things that a faithful steward does. Biblically speaking, stewardship is more about living than just about giving. It's about living with a different perspective, a kingdom perspective. And in this passage, we read that Peter says to this guy, What I have, I give to you. You see, stewards understand that God's the owner of everything that we have and stewards understand that God's entrusted us with gifts and resources and with grace and that we get to use those things and enjoy those things and manage those things and invest those things and we do it and when we do so we bring honor to God and blessing to others and joy to ourselves but get this if we bury those things we miss all of that and so does God says they were faithful stewards of the gifts that God entrusted to them. I think when we get to the end of our lives, there are two questions that we're going to be asked first at the judgment seat of Christ. The first one is, what did you do with my son? And the second one is going to be, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? With the gifts that I've given you. Spiritual and otherwise with the grace that I extended to you? Did you just keep it for yourself and say how wonderful it is for me to be a Christian? Or did you extend it to those who don't experience it, haven't experienced it yet? With the resources, with the talent, with the treasure, with the time. You know, when we live as faithful stewards, it not only changes us, but it will likely change the outcome and the distance and the, the and the and the uh, eternal existence of countless people around us here's the fourth distinguishing mark these guys aroused curiosity They arouse curiosity. There's words in here that's interesting. When this thing happened, when this man was healed, it says people came around. And they watched and saw all that was going on. And it uses words like they were amazed. And that they were filled with wonder. They wanted to know more. And that they were astonished. These guys became curious to know more of what it was like to follow after Jesus. In the book of Acts, we see a, this, this kind of a equation over and over again that these ideas of good works create goodwill among people and opportunities for good news. In fact, in this case, the, the, the curiosity was so great that the church grew in one day from 3,000 people to 5,000 people. That's the kind of curiosity that they aroused. I read one time that the Romans called the Christians a third race. They said, you know what? They're they're not like us. They're not Romans. But neither are they barbarians. We can't figure these guys out. They're different. They're different. And you know what the difference was? The difference was that there was evidence of the Spirit of Jesus within them. There was evidence of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and of those who were living under God's control. Those kinds of people arouse curiosity. Here's the last one. They were bold and courageous. You know, when all this stuff happened, all this excitement took place, the leaders of the religious community weren't particularly excited about it. And in chapter 4, they take these guys and they drag them before their leaders and they tell them, you know, we don't want you to be talking about Jesus anymore. And they said, we can't stop talking about Jesus. And then they asked him, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter then, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stand before you healed. He is the stone that you rejected and which has become the capstone or the cornerstone for salvation It's found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given by, to men by which we must be saved. Look at this first, verse, verse 13. This is what I want to leave you with. It says, And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. You know, it's one thing to know the truth about Jesus. And it's another thing to know Jesus personally. And yet it's, it's even another altogether, though, to be recognized as one who knows Him and who's walked with Him. You see, these are the distinguishing marks that uh, characterized Those early disciples, they had eyes to see. They were ambassadors of hope. They were faithful stewards of what had been trusted to them. They aroused curiosity, and in a remarkable way, they were probably bolder and more courageous than they ever dreamed when it came to telling people and putting themselves on the line when Jesus was concerned. But you know something? These are not just distinguishing marks that characterize people 2,000 years ago. They're distinguishing marks that characterize followers of Jesus and those who walk with Him still today. And we get to be those kinds of people. Now, if you're like me, you look at these distinguishing marks and say, "Oh, you know, I fall so short of that sometimes. In fact I probably can think of a four or five cases this last week where I poof Ambassadors of Hope. Arouse curiosity, bold and courageous. You know the good news is our God loves us. And He doesn't love us because We always do it right. Or because we're always beautiful. You know, remember I told you, church isn't always a beautiful bride. But He loves us to make us beautiful. And when we come to the table, we get to do as believers and have done for 2,000 years, we get to remember again this God who loved us enough to send His Son. And we get to ask Him again and recommit ourselves again to being His. And we get to proclaim again from our heart that You're the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Spirit of the living Jesus again. Make me consciously aware that He lives in me again. And give me opportunities to see you alive in me in these kind of distinguishing ways. And I'll thank you for that privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare for communion tonight, let's prepare to remember Him and to recommit ourselves to being His and to proclaim again in this way in which Christians have done for 2,000 years that you're the Lord and Savior of my life and I am mindful of that and grateful for that. Come and lead us.